0: Again everyone and welcome to episode 98 or Tom Harmon Devin Gardner edition of Three Point Podcast. The three of us are gonna dive into the Michigan sports theme including the same old story at the big house we're gonna come at you with three different generations three different takes our Trinity includes Jared Patel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids Michigan also joining us is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte North Carolina by the way you believe you're celebrating a birthday today aren't you
1: yes sir the big three five.
0: 35, how about that and you're our middle child here on the podcast I'm the oldster Ted Fatale of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle here at our mid-Michigan three-point podcast studios. Our partners include the Corona Connection, Card Service Michigan, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, Shared and Auction Service, and pro Engineering. Our Sportsnet Michigan Radio Network teammates include Sports Radio Detroit and WJSZ. Give us a follow, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all the other big podcast hosting sites. You can also hit us up with your comments and questions on social media at 3 Pod, And we're definitely going to have some thoughts on the debacle in Ann Arbor and also look forward to talking with Wes Blankenship, creator of Coffee Town. We're going to have some fun. We're going to get it rolling right after these messages. of 3 Point Podcast, located on the corner of Siawassee and M21 in Corona.
3: You'll do better with Sheridan.
0: All right, fellas. I mean, we all saw the game. Matt and I saw it on television. Our youngster, Jared, a working press member, his first Michigan-Ohio State game down at the big house. Let's start with the young fella. Well, lay it on the line. What What are your thoughts?
3: I'm going to start with the press conference, then I'll work my way to the game. So at the press conference, as we all saw, um, a journalist yelled at Jim Harbaugh and said, you know where's the biggest gap with this team is it talent gap is it coaching gap is it recruiting gap where's the gap to which Jim Harbaugh said I'm only going to answer questions not insults and the guy then responded that's not an insult that's a genuine question that is a genuine question because when I'm at this game and I'm watching Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins, and Justin Fields just look like head and shoulders
1: the best players on the field compared to anyone that Michigan and they See, the, 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 and, I, and I saw you I, say that in a tweet. Michigan did fine against Chase Young. I get what you're saying, Jared. They, Chase Young, is—he he's up for the height yeah. and everything. But Michigan actually did really well against Chase Young. Offensive yeah, line, he, he, he played pretty well yesterday.
3: They did. Um, the thing with Chase Young was more of just this guy was taller than everybody on the field and he just looked bigger than everybody else in the field. They did, keep, yeah. they did do a nice job of keeping him bottled up for the most part. But the thing that shows you that not only did we have a huge talent gap, but we had a huge coaching gap which is kind of crazy to say because when Ryan Day came in, we kind of thought, well, he's kind of just handed a job. Who knows if he's actually a good coach? He just looks like Randy from Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> As we went in the second half, Shea Patterson, 4-for-24 in the second half. Michigan was just completely just slaughtered in the second half is really what it showed, and it's because we made no adjustments. The first play of the second half, J.K. Dobbins comes out and rips off a 60-yarder. Doesn't even get touched, rips off a 60-yarder. I don't know what it is about this program, but yesterday – showed us all that we are so behind the eight ball in basically every single category recruiting players coaching just overall program that it's sad i don't know why are we still michigan fans i know the lions it sucks to be a lions fan but at least you know that they're always going to let you down i don't know why we don't have the same thought process with michigan because it seems like we've lost to osu every single year since i've been alive actually only we have other than one year when Brady Hoke coached against uh, interim Ohio State head coach Luke Fickle, which shouldn't even count. My whole life, we I've had one Michigan victory over Ohio State. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? That's
0: insane. Victory? Yeah, I mean, it's insane. What is it now, 15 out of the last 16, eight in a row? I mean, you know, I can feel the frustration coming from you, Jared. Uh, I'll set the stage on my day because, you know, you probably could tell by some of my tweets, I was, I was a little excited for an old fella, you know. I always look at this. It's kind of hard to say now. It is Michigan's biggest rival because you got to beat them once in a while. But it's the chase. You've talked about it before. Uh, the thrill of the lions. The chase to uh, to maybe make it to the Super Bowl. Do we really want them to get there? It's all about the chase. Well, that's all we have right now. It's you know it's just become such a dominant butt kicking. And, and you know I was so excited because I really thought all the stars were aligning for this year. You know, obviously everybody talked about the 50-year anniversary and the similarities, but I just thought Michigan had been playing so well. Having the game at home, they still had to play a pretty much flawless game, which they didn't, obviously. We'll get into that. But I was just so pumped and so excited and I gotta tell you guys, when that game ended, I immediately went out on my front porch, took down my Michigan flag. I, uh, I actually went into probably what a psychologist would say, some clinical depression. I just had a crap rest of the day, other than the fact that seeing Nick Saban saunter off the field, that was kind of sweet. That kind of picked me up just a hair. But I, I was just completely devastated by that performance and that defense. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I keep seeing a lot of people talk about the talent gap, and, Jared, you bring it up, and, you know, if you just look at recruiting sites, if you put a lot into that, clearly Ohio State's been at the top of the whole country as far as recruiting, beating Michigan the last few years or for for a while. But, you know, I think there is definitely a talent gap there at certain positions, but Michigan has been recruiting high at certain positions. Ohio State's just recruiting high at every position, so that's probably the difference. So, yeah, you wonder, like, what is Michigan supposed to do, Jared? You were, like, kind of asking that, like, what, what, what does Michigan do? And, you know, like, there are teams beat, like Michigan State has beaten beating Ohio State, or other teams have won games where there's a talent difference. That That's just maybe where coaching comes in. So that's where all the questions come up about Harbaugh and, you know, Josh Gaddis and Don Brown and stuff like that. So, you know, if you don't have the talent, you got to out-coach them. And I think Harbaugh, you know, I'm, I'm still – I'm not on the fire Harbaugh train. I don't know where you guys are standing now, but, you know, I'm still – I still have confidence in Harbaugh. I think he does fine. I just – I I seriously wonder about Don Brown in that scheme. I mean, I think there are mismatches at certain positions, but that scheme I think that Don Brown draws up is fine against every other team except for Ohio State because they're just at an elite level. So, I mean, you you can coach. You you don't have to be better at every position to beat a team. You know, you just have to prepare better. And the penalties and some of the, you know, the late hit, the offsides on the punt and – you know, a couple other little plays here and there that just show that, you know, Michigan just wasn't executing at a high level. You can't do that against Ohio State.
3: It, it, that seems to happen every single year. This team and this program and this fan base now is so scared of Ohio State, and we should be. I, I just, I don't under, I don't see a world where this these college kids, I mean, you saw it with Peoples-Jones and just all these other Michigan receivers dropping passes left and right. I mean, nothing explains the amount of mental mistakes we have in this game every single year other than the fact that as soon as something goes wrong, our guys completely shut down. And Jim Harbaugh has no idea how to revert that. Can you imagine being one of these, and that's why I felt sad watching this post-game press conference with Shea and some of these other guys who are seniors graduating. Can you imagine if I would have told you that these guys coming in as freshmen, hey, you're going to be here for five years, one year you're going to be redshirt, you're never, ever going to beat Ohio State it's just they're not even a rival anymore you can't even consider them a rival anymore well that's it's it. such a joke go to ahead you honestly think about that this this quote unquote and you guys have always been kind of talking to you how this is such a great rivalry like how the game the game this the game that we lose this game every year how is this even a rivalry i don't know people who want to say this is the greatest rivalry in sports not even not a shot not even close auburn versus alabama is 10 times the game this is, with better teams every single year, and a team that actually puts up a fight. There's no reason that Ohio State should be this much better than us. Like, the location, they kind of are the same sort of thing as Michigan where it's a big brand, but it's not like they have Nick Saban coaching them. You know they've had three or four different coaches who just they keep recycling new coaches who just come in and beat Michigan every single year. Right. I don't I don't understand it. Why is this program so much better than us?
0: It's hard I, I to ar- hard to argue with anything you just laid out, Jared. I mean, it's it's a generational. This entire generation that you happen to be in has no idea what it used to be like. I don't know if this is a cycle that that will turn or if Michigan's going to become another Iowa, but. I'm I'm astounded. I don't know what the answer is. Uh, to to go back to what Matt said, I am not at this point saying get rid of Harbaugh either. But I think Don Brown's time has come and gone. <laughs> I mean, you can't you can't you can't two years in a row give up fifty plus points to Ohio State. I don't care how damn good they are now. Yeah, he's not making a lot of the mistakes Michigan made, but they didn't have a very good scheme to try and stop him. And uh, you know. I just think it's time. I mean, I think they have to do something. And I also think, along what Jared was saying, this is not the rivalry that it used to be. And I think the mindset has to just start focusing right now on how to beat Ohio State. That has to be your 100% focus. You're going to get other wins along the way. But if you can't figure out how to beat Ohio State, then why be in the Big Ten?
1: Well, and you got to think, too. I mean, this is kind of the argument we've made, like, in support of Harbaugh. If you figure out how to beat Ohio State, if you can beat Ohio State, you're probably going to be fine against everyone else on your schedule, because if you can beat Ohio State, they've been the best team in the Big Ten for, you know, basically 20 years or whatever. So if you can figure that out, you're probably fine, which is basically Jim Harbaugh, all the people that are talking about Fire Harbaugh, he's overrated, hasn't earned his money, and you know, whatever else they're all saying. You know, I understand the frustration. you It's tough to look at that 0-5 number versus Ohio State now that he's, basically done with his fifth year at Michigan and not get upset about it but he's he's fine against everyone else on his schedule except for Ohio State which has tripped him up you know getting to the Big Ten Championship get into the college football playoff if they could have done that you know so I, I understand that the people that are frustrated with the hardball. the question I always ask is who are you going to bring in that is going to do better because it's not like there's other teams consistently beating Ohio State it's not like you can go out there and just find a coach that's going to turn Michigan into a 12-13 win program because Ohio State is rolling, and changes have to be made, yes. I think there is improvement on offense. It took a few games to kind of get things going, but you can see that the offense was improved. They moved the ball pretty well until the, the second half yesterday against Ohio State. You know, you just got to do something on defense because what have we said on this this podcast before, you keep doing the same thing over and over. It's just insane. So Yeah. You know, we, we love Don Brown because he like, gets all fired up and – has that cool mustache and he yells a lot and stuff, but gave up 118 points the last two games against Ohio State. That's not going to cut it.
0: That's unacceptable.
3: I,
1: I think what makes Don Brown, why we love
3: him, is just because he's got a great nickname. I mean, Doctor Blitz is an all-time name. If he doesn't have a nickname,
1: I think he's already been fired. <laughs> well, that's what—that's <laughs> what's like frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that great nickname. Where the hell was the pressure on Justin Fields yesterday? I mean, he was back there a lot of times, even after he blew out his knee and was running around with a knee brace on. Like, there was no pressure on him. And that's supposed to, and same with last year, in last year's game in the blowout. No pressure on Dwayne Haskins last year was their quarterback torching us. So, you know, yeah, Dr. Blitz, cool. Apparently not against Ohio State, though.
0: Yeah, but how, what, what are they doing? I mean, how, how are they drawing up defenses in, in, you know, in the room, the defensive room? Oh. I mean, you you got Fields you got to stop and Dobbins you got to stop and both of them yep. four touchdowns. Now, how how, how do thing, you allow that to happen? You got to have somebody else beat you. Yeah,
3: you can't. Well, they I mean they had seemed like a new wide receiver going for a ninety or a fifty yard touchdown pass every other possession. It seemed like the, you can't really blitz them. That's what makes me think that it's it's not as much on Down Brown as it just is. We just don't have the horses to compete with these guys because if you blitz, I mean we couldn't cover them. There's there's a new wide receiver every year who just comes out of the Ohio State woodworks who just just gives us the blues and it was they had three or four different guys with like four catches and like a and almost hundred yards so it's not like there's just one like Ted Ginn Jr. that yeah. we couldn't cover no it's this the entire wide receiver core well let me ask don't have any corners you could defend
0: let me ask you this Jared I mean I, you, yeah in that game for sure but you, but then you you scratch your head and you look to how. Michigan and Penn State pretty similar and Penn State gave the Buckeyes a pretty good game down there in Columbus. A lot of times it's the breaks and I think I don't know if this is coaching. I don't know if this is karma, but everybody in the world knows, you know they've won one time in 16 meetings. I mean, that's got to be a just a gigantic mental hurdle that they can't get over. you know, they know they know that they can't play loose and easy. They make a mistake. Oh, no, here we go. And look what happened. Shea drops a shotgun snap. They're going to score. They jump off sides, fourth down. I mean, it goes on and on and on. The mistakes they made that killed them. They really didn't play like Matt was saying. They didn't play bad offensively. And if you get rid of those mistakes, it's a little bit of a different game. Yeah, there's still a talent gap, but I don't think it's as much as you are saying it is.
1: I don't I don't think there is either. And I like at Maybe at, like, top level, like, J.K. Dobbins was clearly the best player on the field yesterday. Justin Fields, you know, Shea Patterson had it. – he's been playing great the last few weeks. He had a pretty good game yesterday. Until the second half, he did kind of sputter. But it's not like Justin Fields is, like, far and away way better than him to the point that it should be a 30-point game. It's just – I think, like, we've kind of already been talking about, Jared, that's kind of how you started off. Like, what's wrong with this rivalry? What's wrong with Michigan when it comes to this game? It's almost like it is a mental block Yeah. that, like – any other game, you know, they can get down twenty one against Penn State like they did this year and battle back. Even in Happy Valley, battle back. Michigan State, they can shut them down if they need to. You know, they can battle back against you know, Notre, Notre Dame, Dane. shut them down in a monsoon. Whatever. But when it comes to Ohio State, like you said, Patterson just drops a snap. Khalik Hudson on that punt that was you know, it was only an eight point game when they forced a the punt, he's standing right over the ball, jumps off sides. The wide receivers were having drops that you usually have we haven't seen the last month or so and it just seems like I think as you that said it Jared it's like in this game when things like start going bad I mean that first drive when Michigan like went bang 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 down the field and on that reverse we scored a touchdown on that reverse Michigan was looking good you know it was like it was pretty exciting but once things like started going bad it's almost like everyone hangs their head start you know late hit happens
0: oh they make that they get that great start and they miss the PAT <laughs>
1: you know right. Yeah. So it's right, it's almost like it starts going downhill even when things are like high or whatever. It almost
3: just seems like this is just, it's just another game to Ohio State. I mean, why wouldn't it be? I mean, we've you named you said it's had 15 wins in the last 16 games. Whereas with Michigan, it's like our Super Bowl.
1: And yeah, well, no, that's, that's not true because win. guys have often said Ohio State players have often said after every game and Justin Fields said it right after this game that we, you know, clear, we clearly put more into this game than they do. Right. And that's what people have said for a long time is that, like what you were saying, Ted, you know, Harbaugh, he, he, had, he preaches beating Ohio State, Michigan State, but he does usually talk about, like, bigger picture and, you know, stuff like that. Whereas Mark D'Antonio, uh, we, we've talked about it, he puts all of his eggs into Michigan basket that helped him turn Michigan State around. And, you know, Meyer, Trestle probably did, and now Ryan Day, they're talking about every week. Justin Fields is even talking about every week, even in, like, strength and conditioning, they talk about Michigan. When they're working out, they put in packages for Michigan every week in the preseason, everything. So they're prepared for Michigan. And I don't, you know, I don't know if Michigan does that. It, it, Harbaugh doesn't say that they do, but... Like you said, Ted, if you figure out how to beat Ohio State, you're probably going to be fine against everyone else.
0: Yeah, but the big question is how? I mean, at this point, <laughs> you know. T-
3: I,
1: I think I have a solution.
3: All right. That I came up with. Okay. You know how, like, in Suicide Squad, I know you guys probably haven't watched it, you have, like, the villains. Wait, wait, go wait. Out wait. And kill. Why
1: would we not have watched that? I've seen that movie. Are we too old movie. to watch Suicide Squad?
3: So I think the only way that we're ever <laughs> going to get over this mental hurdle that this Ohio State team is, is as crazy as it sounds, we need to break the bank for Mark Antonio and bring him in as an associate head coach underneath Jim Harbaugh. Oh, and, because yeah. if there's anyone who knows how to... I mean, this is basically exactly what Michigan State was dealing with with Michigan. And guess who was able to, to flip to turn the tide and make Michigan State the predominant team in that rivalry for a really long time, for like 10 years. He he knows how to... He has taken this exact situation with Michigan State and and flipped it around. Jim Harbaugh clearly has no idea how to do that. And he, the hole just keeps getting deeper. We need somebody who knows what he's doing. Jim Harbaugh may know his X's and O's, but it seems like I don't know what it is, some sort of motivational thing. Just mental block, like we said time and time again. Mark D'Antonio knows how
1: to get over it. We need to bring him in. No Thoughts? Nope. Uh right. a hot the take. Thing. I'm not getting on board with what you're saying. You throw some wild takes out there. and Do not bring Mark D'Antonio in. <laughs> I don't want him anywhere near the Michigan I know, stat. I know. It's crazy. I get what but you're saying. It's the but only way. Nah. That, I mean, that's like... That's like bring. That's like Jim Harbaugh going over to coach Ohio State or something like that. That's just not going to happen. But I think one thing that, you know, people aren't talking about enough, there are people talking about it, but, you know, we, we haven't brought it up yet and some other people, like when they just bash on Michigan, why can't they beat Ohio State, what's going on? Maybe it's not talked about enough at how great Ohio State has been these last basically 20 years. So I, I, I looked it up, I dug into some numbers, and I, I tweeted them out, but... So Michigan's, we talked about it, Michigan's last win over Ohio State when Ohio State was ranked was 2003. So 2004 until now, Ohio State is the best team in all of college football record-wise. They've won 85.2% of their games. In the Big Ten, since 2004, they've won 86% of their games. Just by comparison, in the SEC, Alabama's only won 78.8% of their games. In the ACC, Clemson's only won 75.4%. In the Big 12, Oklahoma's only won 82.6%. So those three teams have been dominating their conferences, and Ohio State's been winning the Big Ten games way more than, than those three teams. So, I mean, I don't think people are talking about, like, yes, Michigan, it, you don't want to see them lose. It's not an excuse. It's not anything like that. But Ohio State is on basically a historic run the last 15, 20 years. The, the best run they've ever had in program, program history, the best run – in all of college football, and it's not like Michigan's the only team losing to Ohio State in that time. Michigan State's only 3-11 against Ohio State. Wisconsin's only 2-12 against Ohio State. They've lost seven straight. Penn State's only 4-12 against Ohio State since 2004. And then obviously that ugly Michigan is 1-15. So, I mean, yes, it's frustrating as a fan to see this, and, you know, it's, it's sickening to see Harbaugh basically do fine against everyone else but Ohio State. But you can't shortchange the fact that Ohio State has went from, like, legendary coach in Jim Trestle to one of the best college football coaches ever in Urban Meyer, not just at Ohio State, one of the best coaches ever, Urban Meyer. And maybe Ryan Day is, like, turning into a, a great coach, too. you got to think about that.
0: Well, you know, Michigan had their chance, really. When Trestle left and they had the scandal down there, and before they hired Urban Meyer, you know, Michigan made some bad moves at that time, with the Rodriguez and Hoke uh, era, you know, actually, I thought Rich Rod was was a pretty good hire when it happened. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that I was against it because I thought at that time it was pretty good. But it, whatever, it didn't work out. But Michigan gave them the opening to bring in Urban Meyer and just continue to roll that program. And uh, I, I, other than Jared's idea, I I have no other idea on how to turn it around.
3: Seriously. I mean, the thing that with Matt, the thing that I would take away from what you just said, Matt, was basically that the Big Ten is just horrible, other than Ohio State, because since 2004, Ohio State's only won one national title. So that just shows you that, yeah, they're beating up on every single team in the Big Ten, but as soon as they get out of that, they're losing. And, and that's, I guess, the thing is if Michigan's a better team, Michigan, Ohio State wouldn't be dominating the way that they have been the last 15 years. It's the fact that, like, Michigan's supposed to be their kryptonite or their rival in the Big Ten. And we just haven't been that. We just
1: been horrible. Well, yeah, so I don't. No, I, I definitely I might... get what you're saying. It's kind of like when we talk about college basketball in Michigan State. You know, they're they're the last Big Ten team to win a national title, basically twenty years ago with Tom Izzo. So I yeah, I get what you're saying with that um, with that argument. But you know, in that time, also Alabama was going through the best run in all of college football with you know what they were doing, and then Clemson comes around with Dabo Sweeney. I think that it's also – I was with you, Ted, when, when Michigan hired Rich Rod. I think a lot of people thought it was a good change for Michigan. Obviously now we know what happened. But that, it doesn't help that we had that Rich Rod-Hoke era in the middle of Ohio State having the, the best run in all of college football during this time because, it, it's again, it, these aren't excuses. This is just like talking about the actual state of the program in 2014 Michigan and Brady Hoke's last year went five and seven, and if you know, if we can remember what that team was like, we lost to Notre Dame by like a million, <laughs> and you know we were just getting blown off the field. That last Brady Hoke team was trash. What did Ohio State do that year? They won the national championship. So Harbaugh comes in to a program. Yeah, he we all we've admitted we probably had unrealistic expectations for Jim Harbaugh. He came in and had to turn Michigan around. People weren't respecting michigan at that time they were joked unranked you know recruiting was bad michigan state was a better program at the time and ohio state was in the middle of you know just won a national title and had urban meyer and stuff so you know (laughs) it's like it's not excuses i think you know it's one of those things like almost like a tip your cap type of thing i mean you got to hope that one of these years it's almost like a monkey off the back michigan almost just has to win one of these and then you can like hang your hat on that you can put some of these bad records away you can say, like, okay, we got one. Now you can tell recruits, hey, we actually can. Jared can't even remember Michigan ever beating Ohio State. Now you can start telling kids, yeah, we did actually used to beat Ohio State often. So <laughs> you just got to get over that hump.
3: And
0: when's that going to be, though? You know?
1: <laughs> heres I know it's funny. We
3: make fun of Brady Hoke. But, hey, he's the last one that beat Ohio State. And even in the times that he lost, like if you remember the year before Ohio State won, even when Ohio the State won the championship at Michigan was 5-7, we only lost by 14 points. 42 to 28. And then the year before that, we lost by two on an overtime when we went for, or we lost by one when we went for two in overtime and missed it. So it's like, although Brady Hoke was an idiot coach, he wasn't getting blown out in these games the way Jim Harbaugh has. Three out of the five years that Harbaugh's been the coach, he's been blown out by Ohio State. What he's doing It's there's something correlated to Jim Harbaugh that is forcing these blowouts and these losses. I don't know how we're not in the locker room. We don't see it every day. Because there's something mentally off with this team, and it's been that way under Harbaugh. Yeah. not not as much as it was under Hope.
1: Yeah, I guess, yeah. I, I guess we we remember that that game we were talking about where Devin Gardner went for two for the win. You know, it was awesome that that team, Michigan team stunk. But right, you could see Devin Gardner balled out in that game, and the effort was there. It was like this Michigan team stinks, and they're hanging with Ohio State because the effort was there. And I, you know, I'm not on that team, so I, it, it's hard to like question guys' effort. I'm not out there, like, slamming heads with Chase Young and some of these guys, but it's like, I mean, you watch some of these plays, some of the drops, some of the stupid penalties, when Cam McGrone had that late hit when Justin Fields was, like, five yards already out of bounds. Right. You know, that's the stuff that makes you, like, that's what, you know, I tweeted out a hundred times or whatever. Like, at some point, you know, yes, coaching, has. you have to prepare guys, you have to get them mentally into the game. All that stuff is definitely true but at some point like Jim Harbaugh is not out there jumping off sides on a punt. Jim Harbaugh is not holding guys or tying a, untying a guy's shoe <laughs> pulling a guy's shoe off to get a 15-yard penalty. You know, Harbaugh's not out there doing that stuff. So, you know, at some point, yeah, I,
0: Yeah, but you got to start with the coaching. It it you got it, the coaching has to clean that shit up. I mean, you, uh, you have yeah, to. It, Players have to play the game, and the, but they but they're taught by the coaches otherwise otherwise why have a coach? They got to If a guy does that kind of kind of crap, you pull his ass out and don't put him back in.
1: <laughs> did, did Jim Harbaugh or Don Brown tell a guy to tell his players to untie a guy's shoe when he's on the box? No, no, team? of course
0: not, of course not. But I my mean, God, how how are they that stupid?
1: <laughs> the, it's, uh, maybe they need to start stop taking
3: less trips to Italy and Africa <laughs> and focus a little bit more on catching snaps, not jumping off sides, and not shoving a player when he's five yards out of bounds. I, I mean, yeah. it, it is it's fundamentals, and I do I agree with you, Ted. I think it comes back to coaching. Well, yeah, you don't. And see the guys you recruit, the idiots that you you send out there,
2: <laughs> it, it's not Ohio State where they have,
3: and that's another thing, just comes down to depth. The fact that that guy doesn't get subbed out when he shoves a guy that's five yards out of bounds because they have no one else.
0: How often do they you see no one else? How often do you see an Alabama player commit the kind of stupid stuff that Michigan has done, especially in that game? I mean. It, it might happen once in a while, but you also see the camera shot of Nick Saban going absolutely bonkers. And he is not hesitant to get rid of coaches either. You know, if they aren't doing their job and he holds them on a high level, if they're if, he, if his assistants aren't coaching their guys up, they're out of there. And, I you know, I think we're going to have to see some of that. And I, And, again, God, I'm fired up. I'm telling you, I was depressed as shit yesterday. I was doing a little bit better today. And then you know now I'm getting worked up again. But come on, you have got to focus, whatever it takes, to beat Ohio State. I don't care what it is. You got I mean,
1: to. to. To that point, I I get what you're saying. To that point, though, Harbaugh has made a lot of changes on his coaching staff. I mean, he other he Don Brown is his what second defensive coordinator. He's made a lot of changes on offense. Jared hates Josh Gaddis and wants him gone. But the main reason that he brought Gaddis in was probably because of the Ohio State game so harbaugh has done that stuff yeah oh he's stuck with don brown because basically every year don brown's been there michigan's had a top five defense they yeah. just can't figure out ohio state wow. which to that point what i'll say not many teams can figure out ohio state so maybe it does eventually i don't know if it is a head coaching i honestly i think it's it's like a Lions syndrome the lions have just a losing culture in that system in that franchise whatever you want to say there just needs to be whole house clean the clean the house everything needs a change of the line well michigan's
0: right there with them you just you just condense it down to one game a year instead of 16 i mean if they can't get by ohio state what's the point of even playing the damn season i'm i'm serious you can't beat them once (laughs) every three times it's crazy
3: it's like and i know we're going to find a way to get ourselves hyped up for the start of next year yep (laughs) but it really needs to just be no, nothing they do. I don't care if they win every game by 40, basically what Ohio State did coming into this game. It does not matter to us. Make a mental note now. Write it down. I'm with
0: it you. It does not
1: matter to, uh, to us until they play Ohio State again next year. Right. I, I think these guys, because we talked about it whether it was last week or the week before, you know, last season when that team was rolling going into the Ohio State game, and then they just got their doors blown off. We said already just now, Michigan was playing great football. I mean, it. It's not just, like, fandom. It's not just sipping the maize and blue Kool-Aid. Michigan was playing really well the last month coming into this game and basically got their doors blown off again on Saturday. So, right, when is Michigan going to take that jump and actually beat Ohio State, if not these last two years, when going into this game they were playing their best football? You know, they weren't, like, stumbling going into the Ohio State game or there weren't, like, big injuries, you know, question marks or something like that. weren't rolling in with John O'Corn at quarterback, you know, like – uh, you know, you got to hope that some of these players. My biggest thing is, I, I think Ryan Terpster said it when we talked to him a, a week or two ago. You know, about these like legendary moments: Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Timbiaka Batuka. When when is a player going to like have that legendary moment? You know, like what two weeks ago, Nico Collins had that four touchdown game. I know it was against Indiana, but like that was a huge performance from a receiver. When is a guy going to have something like that?
0: Well, I'm going like, to tell you right now, and I, and you know, I watched the Fox pregame show. It got me just totally fired up. Okay, you had you, you had Woodson sitting right next to Urban Meyer, and Woodson was going nuts. He was so fired up, and I think I think Michigan has got to find leaders and people that are mentally tough to turn this thing around. Charles Woodson was a perfect example of that. He would not put up with any BS. You know, you got your coaches. They got to do their job for sure, but you got to have leaders on the team. And I, I think maybe Michigan's lacking a little bit of that. I mean, obviously, when you see what happens on the field, you know, we talked about it. Coaches can only do so much on the field. And then you got these players making ridiculously mental mistakes. Did you see players getting in other players' faces? You know, I didn't. It's just like, it's a complete mental block with this Wolverine team against that team down south. And I'm just, I'm fed it, up. I'm fed up with it. it,
3: it, it, it it's going to take a, like, Johnny Manziel or, you know, like a Charles Woodson or Desmond Howard. Like somebody who's large, like a larger-than-life character that's a leader. Because you look at Shea, he doesn't ever talk. In these post-game pressers, he doesn't talk. He just doesn't seem like a very verbal leader. As soon as he made a mistake, he, you kind of see his body language change. And, 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 like, it, I don't know who that's going to be. I don't think there's anyone on this roster right now that is that character that next year we can look to and say, this guy's a leader. This guy's just going to make plays. Like I said, like a like a Johnny Manziel or someone. I, I know that he's a once-in-a-generational player. Or a
0: Mayfield. You know, same kind yeah, like of personality. Mayfield, like just
3: someone like that who just – you know that he's not going to let yourself get blown out in a game like that. Right. And we just don't have anyone like that.
1: Uh, well, yeah, I, I know – I know you're not a Dylan McCaffrey fan, but I don't know if you're at at their practices every night. You, you say you don't see anyone like that, but, you know, all the reports out of whether it was spring ball or anything else is that the players love Dylan McCaffrey because he has that fire, and whenever he's in there, whenever he's getting his reps with the first-team offense, he had that leadership. It was just Shea was the, for, you know, he was the senior. He was the starting quarterback coming into the season. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You you need someone like Johnny Manziel or Woodson or, you know, whatever but, you know, maybe that's, you know, we, Shea Patterson, he he came in, he was supposed to be, and he, he had a really good season, you know. He
0: throws a nice ball. He does throw the ball pretty good.
1: He, he throws a good ball, you know, he gets a little loosey-goosey with the ball sometimes when he's running or whatever. But, you know, like, he wasn't terrible. Maybe it is just time, like, we need, McCaffrey was a huge recruit coming in. He's been there since he was a freshman. It's not like he transferred into the program. You know, this will be his, what, they go next year's second year in the offense, so he's not having to learn a new offense. Maybe maybe that's what what it'll take. You know, Dung running back, yeah. Hassan Haskins and Zach Charbonnet, they'll be back, and they, they showed some life this year. You know,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I,
1: I, yeah, I see what you're saying,
3: and you're probably right about the whole leader, that he's a great leader and everything. I mean, he comes from a great family of, like, athletes and stuff, so I feel like he probably does have that in him. But if you're gonna tell me like, hey, we're holding, we're we're hanging our hat at like Christian Mc, uh, Dylan McCaffrey, he's gonna beat beat Ohio State for us next year. I it, that doesn't get the juices popping.
0: I just I don't know. Well, don't we got to give him so. a chance. I mean, he's probably gonna be the quarterback. I mean, you know, these seasons you you see him unfold. I mean, I know you're not a big McCaffrey fan, but let's see what he can do, right? Or or maybe somebody'll beat him out. Who knows? But we got a long way to go. I mean, uh, you know. This one still hurts so bad. I, I, I know we're going to keep talking about the game a little bit. We broke it down in our opinions, but I, I want to get a little bit more into Jared's experience down there. Tell us a little it, bit it, more about uh, your big day at the big house. It, it feels dumb saying it now, but there was something
3: in the air, and maybe that's why we jumped them in the first in the, the first drive of the game and kind of right off the bat is because there was, I did feel something. But you walked in, and it is quite an experience. It's pretty wild. I'm walking down the hallway, you know, down the tunnel that leads to the field, and uh, Urban Meyer, Charles Woodson, Matt liner all walk right past me, basically <laughs> shoulder to shoulder. Wow! And it's just there. It's quite an experience. I, I don't. It really gets the juices pumping. But man, I even as somebody who's like watching as a fan, you do feel the air gets sucked out of that building, right? As and and it just shows you Justin Fields how good he is. Michigan comes down, punches them in the mouth, scores, and Ohio State doesn't even blink. They they march right down and score themselves. So I don't know. And it was a little bit disparaging to see at the end of the game how many Ohio State fans there were in the stadium? It was maybe a third or a fourth of the crowd was just chanting "Oh H,"
2: hey. yeah, I, oh,
3: just around for the last like quarter of Ugh. that game. I've never seen more like fans of an opposing team in Michigan Stadium than I did yesterday. Like that was even before the end of the game. There was a lot of red in the
0: stadium. Oh, they're legendary you, like, on the way a they run. travel. I guess there's a they
3: love it. They yeah. do. Yeah, yeah.
0: They are, they are they are insane fans for sure, and they do follow their Buckeyes. So. Again, I kind of to twist it up a little bit here, a little the human interest. So you, you get to the game. We know you go, you you get your credentials. You know, show your ID, whatever you do. How how early do you go actually onto the field when you went down the tunnel? You had
3: to go. You had to go out on the field. I was out there about ten thirty, and I didn't move. Because there were so many people on the sidelines and at that game that if you moved, you were going to lose your spot. Right. And the same thing, the most people I've seen, I talked about how packed it was for the Michigan-Michigan State game. It was that times two Wow. at 9 a.m., at 9.30 a.m. when we got there. The buffet was getting mowed down by a bunch of people. Everyone was already sitting down in the media room. I had to stand up when I, ate. <laughs> I couldn't sit down. There wasn't a seat in the place. It's just crazy the spectacle that it is. And it's kind of weird for me to think because – like i said growing up i never really viewed this as such like a huge game for michigan i don't know but apparently just the boomers like ted right. and people that are like that age it, millennials it is that game to them but i'm just there and it's just man I, just cra- it was crazy it was quite a scene but
0: then afterwards that's the other thing i want to get uh obviously I wouldn't really expect you to ask a question in the press conference for this big a game, and especially if you were in the Michigan locker or Michigan press room afterwards. But, you know, describe the feeling, especially when that reporter asked that question to Harbaugh and how tense it was.
3: There was an audible gasp, and everyone flipped around like, who just said that? <laughs> and I was sitting right – If you, Matt posted a video. It was basically the camera was on my back. Basically, during that exchange, I, I was sitting right in front of that guy. Wow. And I love that question. Me walking in at, into that press conference, Ted, just kind of like how you and how Matt, you probably would have been, you're just pissed walking into this press conference. I almost, like, got the popcorn out. Like, I want to see these type of questions. I want to see every single one of these, Shea Patterson, Haskins, who... Decided to run the complete opposite way on a fourth and one that costs us the game.
0: It had a big hole, by I, the way. I,
3: I want to see these guys answer these questions because it, it's just that it was just I was pissed and embarrassed. I mean, bring them out. It was like a movie to watch that.
0: So were there ever were there other tough questions? Not
3: really. Nope. No. Softball. I mean, well, Jim Harbaugh basically was. No, I wouldn't say softball. It's just when Jim Harbaugh, every question you ask him, he just spins it back around to, oh, they played great and we made some mistakes. That was what he was saying to every single question. Coach B. And, I mean, you don't want to ask Shane Patterson, you know, he played horrible when he's crying at the podium. Right. You really want to ask him, you know, you went 4-for-24 in the second half. I mean, if you do, he's not going to give
1: you an answer. It's really not worth it.
0: No. Um,
1: see, and that, that's where, like, I you know, you say it was a great question from that dude, and. Uh, I think his name is, like, Jordan Strack. He tweeted it out. From and Toledo. Other, yeah, I've seen other people say that that was a legitimate question or whatever. And, you know, I'm not going to, like, say it was a terrible question or, you know, whatever. I think it, it was one of those questions that, like, maybe, like, what made uh, D'Antonio call the reporter a dumbass or whatever. The the question could have been worded differently because I see people ripping Harbaugh for his response or whatever, you know, calling it an insult. And the way it was worded, it was basically an insult because the, yeah. the reporter basically said – you know, kind of how you teed this whole conversation up, Jared, about the talent gap and the gap in coaching. And of course, Harbaugh has the back of his coaches. Of course, he has the back of his players. So he probably doesn't truly believe that there is a big talent gap in the coaching or the players. So what is he supposed to say? You know,
0: I think the reporter
1: it was... was trying to get him to throw his coaches under the bus. The reporter was trying to get that headline because all it is now is to try and run right to Twitter so you can get something viral get something trending or whatever he's trying to get Harbaugh to say that you know Don Brown has to do better our defense has to do better he's trying to get that hot take from Harbaugh and if you've ever been or listened to any Jim Harbaugh press conference you're never going to get that kind of take (laughs) because he's not going to do it he's not going to throw his players or his coaches under the bus I think it was a 50 you know it's like what answer are you looking for that's why it was a stupid question what answer are you looking for do you want him to throw his players under the bus or do you want him to give coach speak because if he gets coach speak people are going to rip him If he throws someone under the bus, people are going to rip him.
0: Look, on this particular question, and I think Jared kind of set it up, he wanted to bring his popcorn, he was angry. This reporter probably is a Michigan fan too, right? And in the heat of the moment, he asked the question, did he ask it just so he was going to get his uh, Sports Center moment? I'm not so sure. I I think maybe he was pissed and legitimately, like everybody else thinking, what do you do? From coaching staff to players to everything else, I agree with Jared particularly on this one, and I think everything – I'm not going to badmouth Harbaugh for how he handled it because he answered it completely honestly. He felt insulted. It was a fair question. He answered it. He put the guy in his place, and guess what? He went on from that and answered the question, didn't he, in in his own form?
1: Yeah, he answered it in his his own form. I don't think the dude is – uh, mi- necessarily a Michigan fan. He works for uh, Toledo. now a Toledo.
0: I think they cover Michigan pretty heavy. I could be wrong. I think
1: it's, that doesn't mean he's I a think Michigan it, fan. No, I know. I know. I, uh, I, I mean, mean, yeah. If you, if I, you listen to this podcast, you wouldn't necessarily think Jared's a Michigan fan with the stuff he says. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I'll say is this.
3: I do think that... But, I mean, that is kind of your job at Sports is to kind of get that stuff that's going to go on SportsCenter to get that stuff that's going to go viral. I mean, whether we like it or not, certainly I don't like it when I'm listening yeah, to I, it. I, I think that's where the, the change is. And
1: I, man, I see people say that. Like, your job is to get something to go viral. Your job is supposed to get information and news out of these coaches or players or something like that. It shouldn't be about, like, getting something that's going to go viral. Now, whether you get some legitimate information and that goes viral, that's fine. But you you shouldn't be trying to, like, get someone.
0: So if you're saying, Matt, that if he had worded it different, you know, ask basically the same question but be more polite, and then Harbaugh answered it the same way, then he would be wrong. Harbaugh would be wrong.
1: Right. I don't know. That's fair. I, I'm fine with the guy asking the question. I mean, like, I, that, you know that's his job. He's supposed to be there to ask questions. But don't don't get all like butthurt because Jim Harbaugh called it an insult. Because I, it was an insulting way that he asked the question.
0: I got a I kind of give well, the guy a little credit because kinda... he followed he followed up with uh, an explanation after Harbaugh first said he was insulted, didn't he? He said it is a fair question. And he followed up with a uh, uh, you know another question along that line.
3: Over 100 points in the last 118 or something, yeah. I like think is what it was in the yeah. last two games. Yeah. I don't. It, the thing is with this is how can isn't losing to Ohio State the way that they have the last? Isn't that like kind of insulting? And it's like it, it's kind of not right to ask a question that isn't insult. Like, I don't know how do you how do you ask questions that if, if if you ask about how you're losing to Ohio State, like it's all kind of insulting. I don't, I guess, isn't a lot, aren't a lot of questions insulting in a way? I
0: don't know. Yeah, probably. I mean, I kind of – I could say I was insulted the way they've played the last two years. I'm a Michigan fan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it hasn't been fun to watch. So I, I was going to ask you, you guys were talking about Jared being at the Big House, and, you know, we, we saw the on TV, you know, you could see the blimp views of the Big House and stuff, and it was talked about a lot about how red that crowd looked, yeah. now, the amount of Ohio State fans. Do you think there's something to – and, you know, I was thinking about it today – like why is there just a different feel? The Big House is awesome. I mean, we we feel personally about it cuz we're Michigan fans, but you know, even if you're not a Michigan fan, I think most people appreciate what the Big House is. You know, it's a cool stadium. It's it's loud, whatever. Without a doubt. But there's something different about games. I mean, that that was the biggest game for Michigan in a long time, and you know, it's basically it's, you know, half and half Michigan and Ohio State fans you would never see something like that at happy valley you would never see something like that at the horseshoe you would never see it, something like that at uh-huh. madison at a wisconsin game like it, do you think there's something to the michigan fan base kind of kind of being you know they have the reputation of being like the old you know they sit on their hands at the big house they don't they asses. Tell people to sit down apparently <laughs> they sell their tickets because they'd rather watch at home yep you know stuff like that do you think there's something to like maybe
0: you're dead on recruits Get on, like, don't
1: see that kind of stuff, and then especially they see the Michigan fan base go crazy on Twitter and start you know hating on the team, hating on the coaches, hating on the players and stuff.
0: There's no doubt. I mean that's why you, you know, Ohio State fans will probably pay anything to go to those games. The Michigan fans they said, hey, I'm gonna cash in instead of selling it to a Michigan Wolverine fan like they probably do in Happy Valley and other places. You're right. It's insulting. I love that word now all of a sudden, by the way, to see that much red at the big house. You're absolutely right, Matt.
3: 100%. Well, I mean, it's, it's, well, why aren't you going to...
0: But I don't have season tickets. I don't have season ago? tickets, but I wouldn't sell my damn season ticket, or I wouldn't sell a ticket to a Buckeye. I don't care how much he's going to pay me. That I'm going to tell you that lie. right now.
2: That
3: is such a lie. That there's is no the to, damn truth, I, young man. I'm racking my brain on a way to disprove this. How, you, there's no uh, way you could ever uh,
0: they, misprove that.
3: You would sell to an Ohio State fan. Don't even, if they paid you... You're such a cheapo. If they paid you <laughs> as much as you paid for it, you would definitely sell your ticket. That's such a lie.
0: No way. No way. I'm telling you right now. Then there's no way but to prove. There's no the way to way prove way me I wrong either.
1: <laughs> I, I think that maybe is like part of the not to try and lump the fans into like the actual players on the field, but like the mental thing. Yeah. There is the like, uh, we're probably going to get our asses whooped anyway. So, oh look, I can make 150 bucks if I sell my ticket. All right, I'll go ahead and sell it, even if it is a Buckeyes fan. And, you know, that that's
0: part of the problem with the you're fan like base. You're
1: not That stuff comes into play. Like, players see that kind of stuff. You know, you don't think the players, Michigan players, ran out and looked up and saw how much red was there and thought, man, what the hell, where's our fans? You know? And we Like, Michigan fan base, they can't even, like, coordinate a maze out. You know, like, you look at Happy Valley when they want to do a whiteout. Oh, my. It is an incredible scene. It is. And then we Michigan tried to do a maze out, and people bitch because they don't want to go out and buy a $5 yellow shirt from Meyer. <laughs> you know, and it's like. Why, our, our fan base, I'm, I'm one of them, I, I'm in the fan base, So, but like, they're almost like bipolar, because like, when things start going well, you know, sometimes it's like, Michigan's back, you know, everything's the best thing ever, and then like, you know, you, you lose one game and it's back to, I'm off the, I'm off the Michigan fan base, I, I'm, I'm done with Harbaugh, I'll fire him, I'm selling my tickets, you know, whatever, and I honestly, I think some recruits see that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I
0: agree. I
3: think it's everywhere, though, because I, we just saw it yesterday with, when, Alabama loss. There's people saying that Alabama fans want his job, <laughs> like want his head. They want him out. So I think it happens oh. everywhere. I, I just think that we're more. It's kind of just speaks more to just college football in general how kind of dumb a lot of people are, and we're dumb because we've gone back and forth saying. Maybe Matt hasn't. Maybe Ted, maybe you haven't. But for me, I've kind of gone back and forth where I do think that Harbaugh is our best guy for the job. But man, when you're losing to Ohio State like that, you, it, it crosses your mind. Like, maybe we should move on.
0: Well, give me a different and name. Give me a name to consider. But I don't one. know who's that's, out there. I
1: know that's what everyone says. There
3: really isn't one.
0: Right. I just,
1: there isn't. Because, I mean, think about it. Texas has been trying to find that one for a long time, and they haven't been able right. to find one. You know, some of these other schools have been trying to find that bad guy. And they haven't been able to do it. USC has been trying to find that guy for a long time and haven't been able to. So if Harbaugh could get over that back to the number you've thrown out. You, if you can beat Ohio State one every three years, like you've said, Ted. Yep. That that's what Harbaugh has to get to. You you can't expect to just dominate them like through the John L or the the John Cooper era, like Michigan was dominating Ohio Two, State ten and one. You almost can't expect that anymore. Right. If you, if you can win one out of three, hell, at this point, one out of four. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Seriously. I to think that would keep Harbaugh. If if that one year, they then also get to the Big Ten championship and compete for the playoff.
0: There you go, uh, baby that's step. What you got
1: hope for. <laughs> but isn't that isn't it? Why is it that Ohio State has just
3: been this dominant?
0: I, I don't well, know. Compared
3: to Michigan, like, isn't it? It's not like their location is so much better. It's not like they have the best facilities in the country. It, I don't. And they've had multiple different coaches.
0: They're pretty good. So Columbus I, is I, an I, interesting. Columbus is an interesting town. It's a pretty big city, and it's the only game in town. The Buckeyes. I mean, there's nothing else. You know, in Ann Arbor. Sure. You got the Detroit pro teams and Michigan State right up the road. Columbus, right in the right in the heart of the state, and that's it, man. That's yeah. the only yeah, game but, in town.
1: I think there's something to that and like uh, Colin Calvert and Joel Klatt they, they've talked about it the last few weeks or months or something and I think like you know if you think about yes Michigan has like the most wins overall in college football whatever going all the way back to the 1800s
0: right.
1: but like Ohio State's program really has like historically been a, a little bit better That even like through the Woody Hayes days you know Woody and Bo were rivals and that, that turned this into the game but you know, Woody actually won some national championships. And so Bo never won a national title. So, you know, Ohio State maybe has always been, like, a tick above Michigan. Right. I think one of the biggest things, you know, when, when Trestle was there in the early 2000s and Lloyd Carr was there, you know, Michigan had just recently won a national title. Michigan and Ohio State were, like, fairly even. And then even to that 2006 game where, where it was one versus two, you know, Michigan wasn't that far off. Honestly, I, like, that Rich Rod Brady-Hoke era – like, set the program back to to a point where we're seeing how far it set the program back. It's not like Jim Harbaugh forgot how to coach. It's not like he's a terrible coach. We can bring in the perfect Michigan football candidate, you know, played at Michigan, dad coached at Michigan, all that kind of stuff, and he can't even figure out how to beat Ohio State. So, you know, I think Ohio State, they're just going through this run. They're the best team in college football. They have to win some national
0: titles. Never seen anything like it, for sure. But hey,
3: even though it's like, but I hope you could say the same thing about Alabama, but yet Auburn finds a way to beat them. Right. You know, it's just, I don't.
1: Every once in a while, even just bringing it back to Michigan, Michigan State, even those years like through the 90s when, when Michigan was definitely a better team than Michigan State, there were those years that Michigan State figured out a way to beat Michigan. And Michigan like can't even do that. They can't even, when they have a, you know, that JT Barrett game, they can't even stop him on fourth and one to get a win there. Or, you know, like the Devin Gardner can't even convert that two-point conversion to figure out a way to beat Ohio State. They can't even do it. You want to know when I, when I knew it probably wasn't going our way, even though I was trying to keep up hope, when we missed the extra point. And then when Dobbins, on that next drive, fumbled the ball, yeah. and it bounced right <laughs> back up into his hands, and he ran the ball for like 30 yards. Perfect
0: bounce. Yeah. That's,
1: that's the stuff that it's like, why the hell can't we get that kind of stuff? Well, A couple of drives later, Shea just drops a snap that they recover. Yeah, it was just... of frustrating. <laughs>
0: totally frustrating. Well, I think we beat the hell out of this game. And I think uh, any Michigan State fans that maybe... Had tuned to this podcast periodically. They left about a half hour ago. By the way, <laughs> no, I think
1: they love it. I love it. Well, maybe today they do. Maybe today they do. <laughs> a couple, goodness, c- They they left their football program about four months <laughs> or four weeks ago. Anyway, too. So they haven't been paying attention to football for a while. Well, they
0: did pick up a scintillating nineteen sixteen win over Maryland. With about uh, there might have been fifteen thousand fans at that game. In fact, I saw tickets. Five thousand. How much?
1: 55000
0: That's paid attendance, but how many were actually at the game? Yeah, there
1: wasn't 55000 there. No
0: way. I, I actually saw tickets were available to get into the game for 2 bucks. 2 bucks for a Big Ten college football game. But I'm, I don't want to shortchange them, man. They did make the bowl. They, they're bowl eligible. Dan will probably find a way to win his bowl game, and here they are, winning record, you know, if they do. I
3: mean, when you really look back on it, are the history books really going to remember Michigan State's season that much differently than Michigan's this year? I mean, yeah. a 9-3, and 6-6. Six and six.
1: I don't know. In my opinion, in the grand scheme of things, they really aren't that much different.
0: Today, I would tend to agree with you, Jared. I would tend to agree with you.
1: Uh, if, if Michigan can win a bowl and get the 10 wins, you know, yeah.
0: Who cares about she a bowl fall game nowadays? are into the trap
1: of, like, when is Michigan going to have a signature win? I mean, they smoked Notre Dame this year. I know, I'm not saying Notre Dame is, like, one of the best teams in college football, but that's a rival of Michigan. That, that's a big win for Michigan. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying like everything is fine. I'm not saying that, but they had some big wins. I mean, they've I don't know if they've taken back the Michigan State rivalry, but you know, it kind of seems like they've taken back control of the Michigan State rivalry. So, it's
0: You're you're bringing up you're 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 telling exactly how it is, but as we sit here today, I agree with Jared because does it really feel any different after losing to Ohio State whether Michigan was 6 or 6? or 9-3, and to me it really doesn't. Yeah, maybe a few days from now I'll start thinking that way, but today I sure the hell can't.
1: I don't know. One last question I want to throw out if we're we're about to move on. Uh, Do you think, you know, talking about rivalries, it just came into my head, do you think that Michigan, something they actually like that maybe hurts them, is that they do have multiple big rivals? I mean, for Alabama, it's basically Auburn. It's big with LSU too, but it's basically Auburn. Uh, for Ohio State, it's basically Michigan. You know, Michigan, it, Notre Dame—that is a big rivalry for Michigan fans. Michigan State has made the Michigan-Michigan State game huge. I mean, Jared, you you put more into the Michigan State game than the Ohio State game, and then you know there is still the history with Ohio State. Do you think that actually hurts Michigan a little bit to have like multiple big rivals like that?
3: I would think so. Yes, because
1: because you know, like, like you were Ohio talking State's about, the like you got to put all your eggs into the Ohio State basket, but then like. You know that's kind of like putting Michigan State on the back burner. That's putting Notre Dame on the yep. back burner, even though we're not going to play them for a little while. That's putting Penn State on the back burner. So uh, it's just uh, it's something I my thought.
0: No, was. there's probably something to that. I would tend to agree with that. I'm tr- I'm just thinking. Well, Ohio State does have Penn State. I would say that's right up there as well, wouldn't you? I mean, it's not a, nowhere near as big as Michigan, but that's definitely a rival game for Ohio State. But that's about it. I don't know who else. All right, I, I have two quick things uh, has to do with the media. We were talking about Harbaugh. And uh, your colleague, Mike Greenberg, I I had I had a laugh because I was watching him tweet yesterday and he was completely fed up with the Michigan effort and what was going on in the field. Okay, so he's he's completely bad mouthing the program from coaching on down. And then today he's such a jet diehard. He says the Jets have to immediately get on the phone with Jim Harbaugh. (laughs) I just thought I thought that was kind of comical. And uh, the other thing in the media I want to throw out there, Jared knows that uh, his dad's a big Mitch Album fan. So am I. If you want to read a good article on the Michigan game, if you even want to, you know, think about that game anymore, Album really had a tremendous uh, recap of the game, his thoughts and commentary. Well worth a read if you want to see the album uh, column in the free press.
3: He was at the Michigan-Michigan State game, and I actually met him there. It's surprising, as somebody who's really short and small, he's even smaller than I am. Which is, so I felt kind of, hey, like I kind of tower over this guy a little bit. <laughs>
0: yeah, you a so little guy, but what do you think, Jared? You know, I, myself and your dad, big, big fans. I mean, do you have some respect for his writing abilities?
3: Oh, I, I love his, I mean, The Five People You Meet in Heaven and the Fab Five book. And I actually, did, and my dad actually does have like his live album books, which are all his articles put yeah. together in book form. And I've actually been reading them. They're good. I, yeah, he's, he's awesome. I love his stuff.
0: Free Press has been fortunate to keep him all these years, without a doubt. All right, uh, I think we beat that one to death, right? We got a special guest coming up, and I think we should uh, calm down a little bit, get him on the phone. And uh, before we hook up with Wes Blankenship, just want to remind you that the com, they know it's great to be gold. Our Cavaliers, they keep you up to date on what's going on with Cavalier Nation. That's at Corona connection.com also advanced elevator company they feature top expert field technicians for installation troubleshooting and repair of elevators an area business leader and longtime supporter of the corona public schools and a proud
2: partner of three-point podcast okay dirtville and coffee town been talking about it all week time for the big tire pregame show we'll send it down to coach Swansea. coach talk to us about your guys coach tell us about this game okay bartrez kicks it off for coffee town it's a touchback Coffee Town hands it off to Donnie Chugs. Chugs picks up three. Chuggs again. Picks up two. Man, that joker can run. Whoa! Man alive, that sucker can carry the football. I tell you what, just give the ball to Donnie Chuggs and let that turkey work. Okay, time for the Big Tower Halftime Show. We're here with Coffee Town quarterback Ashley Holt. Ashley, we forget y'all are students too, but I guess that's why they call you student-athletes. What's your favorite subject? Who's your favorite teacher? And what do you do in your free time besides fish and eat? Special delivery, Ashley Holt or Ronnie Chuggs. Both the Chuggs brothers on the board. Can one of y'all get me a chili pup and a hot chocolate? Coffee Town now 0-4, losing to Dirtville 42-12.
1: Well, there it is, guys. You just heard it. Coffee Town, West Blankenship. Uh, it, it's a super cool story. I came across him on, on Twitter. I saw that video and thought it was hilarious and just have seen the reaction to Coffee Town and everything that, that Wes is doing with it. So, I, And then I also saw him on the Marty McGee show on SEC Network, and, you know, it was hilarious there. So I thought, hey, this would be a perfect opportunity to talk to someone that kind of comes from a background that, you know, we, we're all working in the media business, and Ted has been calling high school football for 30-plus years. So I thought it would be cool to have Wes on to talk. So you can follow Wes on Twitter, at Wes underscore and ship he's an atlanta sports broadcaster and he's the host of the back porch sports podcast so we're excited to have him on Wes, how's it going go well matt that was a heck of an introduction man i appreciate <laughs> y'all having me on tonight yeah we're, we're excited to chat so i mean i don't know there, there's only one one place to start coffee town where, where did this come <laughs> from is this something you've been cooking up since like high school or did it just come to you what where did coffee town come from
4: yeah i mean uh covering georgia high school sports for my entire career, uh, nearly a decade throughout college. And out in the real world, and just growing up in Georgia, you understand the importance that the local high school radio voice has in the community. For anyone driving through that's actually trying to follow the game or maybe you can't find anything better on the radio, you end up stopping by and just listening to a bunch of voices that you know nothing about. So it's just uh, something that I found to be part of the pulse in the southeast and as the videos started to go viral, I've done five of them now on Twitter, I've gotten responses from all over the country. And um, the original caption of them was, high school football radio announcers in the south. And I got responses from Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Maryland, California. I mean, these are the types of things that you hear wherever you may
1: happen to be in the USA on a Friday night in the fall. Well, and it's not to blow smoke up uh, Ted's behind to keep it a little clean. No, but, go, uh,
0: ahead, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I, it's exactly what you're talking about. Ted has been calling high school football for thirty plus years. He'd be the, he'd be the best one to tell you. But I mean, we joke about it. He is he's the voice of Mid Michigan high school football in the area that we all grew up in. So so yeah, you're spot on, and it's really cool. So I'm curious. It's not it's not making fun of anything, right? Like it's hilarious what you're doing. You're not trying to like make fun of what it is. You're almost trying to like pay homage to it.
4: Oh yeah, totally. It's it's all the utmost respect because I know that those guys, if they're, you know, getting paid at all to do it, it's probably not very much. And uh, it's totally just a thing that I do out of respect and just kind of my sense of humor to, I guess, observe what's happening in the place that I grew up and put a little bit of my own spin on it. But yeah, there's no single voice that I'm making fun of or trying to put down. I think it's just all in good fun and I hope that that comes across when people hear it.
0: You know, I have been doing it a long time, and I have, I love checking out different uh, high school play-by-play guys, and I can see exactly where you're coming from with this. This would be very cool, entertaining, especially coming from the neck of the woods you're at. I mean, everybody's heard the classic calls from some of the different colleges down there, and I can only imagine what it's like for the high school broadcasters following their local team.
4: Yeah, I would say the single word that is trending with any response I've gotten to the videos I've done is accuracy. And, you know, I think that's what makes it to the people that hear it. I think that's what makes it so funny is that I've hit the nail on the head for whoever may be listening because it's all coming from things that we've all heard growing up. So, yeah, it's just it's just the accuracy of that. Maybe some of it is uh, hyperbolized a little bit uh, for comedic effect but i think it is just that voice those names the cadence um it's not your uh, top of the line broadcast expectation that you might hear on a college football broadcast so i think all those things combined makes that experience something that feels real to
3: people to switch gears, I mean, you've covered a lot of cool stuff in your day. I mean, the SEC Championship, the Super Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the Masters. Which one of those was the coolest? I mean,
4: it has to be the Masters, right? Uh, yeah, for me, you know, as you've heard, I'm sure if, if you haven't been to a Super Bowl, you'll hear that attending a Super Bowl, it just it feels like a corporate event. It doesn't necessarily feel like a huge game when you're in it. The week feels amazing, and uh, to see the community and the city of Atlanta This past February, Embrace the Super Bowl was really special, and me being an Atlanta native was really cool. But, yeah, the Masters, you just can't help but be reverent when you go out on the course. And there is the awareness that it is totally man-made and manufactured and landscaped. Um, There's no hill that size in Augusta, Georgia. Um, That's as tall as, I believe, the uh, Statue of Liberty, as some people have shown on, on some graphics. That doesn't naturally happen in Augusta, Georgia. But when you go out on the course and you see the names and you see the golfers and and the way that they honor their golfers, and also from a media perspective, the way that they treat the media, uh, the closest thing I can compare it to was covering the Rose Bowl. Those two events are put on with the utmost respect for the people covering them just as much as the people attending the event Uh, respect the athletes and respect the teams that are there. So the Masters in Georgia – they continue to do it right, and uh, they've continued to get better. I'd say the most impressive thing to me is how they've continued to adapt to the 21st century. They had the Women's Amateur Event uh, this past spring, and uh, they, they stay up to date uh, with their technology and the way they distribute videos to us and audio. It's just it's
1: top-notch year in and year out, and that is definitely a highlight of my career. I was going to ask you about, we've, we've had some guests on before uh, who have kind of become like social media personalities or – started to gain a following on social media from some of the work that they do and we like to ask them or i've asked them a couple times like how do you kind of navigate through all of the responses that you get so you know you were talking about getting responses to your videos from all over the country you know it's got to be tough to kind of keep up with so how do you navigate while also you know you know you want to try and engage with the fans you want to talk to them and stuff so how do you kind of handle that well, it's easy when
4: the responses are all positive. And uh, most of the responses to Coffee Town have certainly been positive. But I think I just, I look at Twitter as, A, it's it's a platform for me that I've always found suited my personality. And I love one-liners. I love uh, just communicating with people with a uh, sense of humor that's sharp, but also kind of dry and witty. And I think Twitter has always been about that. I almost miss the 140-character limit because that really forced you to, to use your best stuff. But, um, but yeah, for me, I look at Twitter as a way to engage with people as I would if I were sitting in the same room with them. So if they've taken the time to talk to me, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to do my best. Not every single tweet uh, is worth a response. You know, I, I try not to engage with people that are being negative just because it's it's ultimately never makes you feel Good about yourself um, when you're trying to prove some sort of point on Twitter. I must, I much more enjoy having somewhat of a conversation with people. And I think lately on Twitter, something I've tried to do, especially if people are having like arguments in my mentions, I try to set up a conversation for them. Because a, like, I, I don't care if you're arguing in my mentions; I can mute your conversation. But why don't you guys like actually talk? I mean, it's it's too easy to share a link or share a FaceTime link or a a Skype, you know if you guys really want to talk about something why don't you actually go talk about it and I think that's the the cool thing about social media these days, especially with Twitter you can get to know people you can get to reach out to them and talk to them and get to know them so whether it's someone responding to me or people responding to each other I love how this platform even though you only get a certain amount of characters it fosters that relationships sometimes that hopefully ends up being positive there's so many negative things and so much trash on twitter i love engaging with people in a way that is positive and that makes my day because it's so easy to do it
1: yeah that that's an awesome response and honestly like that that kind of gets me uh it's kind of like a motivational response because it is true like it as cool as social media is for all the positives that social media does bring man there is a a lot of negativity out there and, hmm. and it's a shame that people sometimes can't just engage in a positive conversation that like if you disagree with someone or if you present a rebuttal to something that they said it immediately turns nasty or it immediately oh, yeah. turns into an argument
0: a little bit about yourself wes sure. uh, uh where'd you go to university tell us a little bit about uh you know your career and uh you know you already talked about how you started uh coffee town but uh, give us a little background
4: yeah, so I grew up in a place called Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is about 25 minutes north of Atlanta, depending on the traffic and what time of day you're leaving the city. Yeah. So I grew up there and went to the University of Georgia and really had a fortunate time there getting my background in journalism and newspapers. That was my major in the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication in Athens. I had four and a half years there. I got one extra football season, which was desperately needed. <laughs> At the time when I was there between 2008 and 2012, had some lean years for Georgia. I know you guys uh, keep up with Matt Stafford up there, obviously. Oh, yeah. Got a few years of of Matthew playing quarterback as the uh, preseason number one team in the country, and it was all downhill from there until my final two football seasons, getting to follow Aaron Murray play in uh, two SEC championships, one of them – The greatest game that I still think I've ever been to is the 2012 Alabama-Georgia SEC Championship. But uh, I worked for the newspaper, student newspaper, the Red and Black, up there, and graduated with a degree in journalism, uh, specifically in newspapers and visual journalism, and got my first career opportunity out of Georgia at a station called WMAZ, which is the CBS affiliate in in Macon, Georgia. And uh, started out as a video journalist, as a photographer, and eventually there was an opening in the sports department. Uh, Courtney Lyle, who now does work for the uh, ESPNU and SEC Network as well, she was the uh, sports reporter and anchor that left at the time. She went to Knoxville, so I applied for the sports job there. I always had a background covering sports throughout my time at Georgia. And I uh, was fortunate enough to get that opportunity, and I was there for a few years and eventually got promoted within the news corporation that I worked for to the NBC station in Atlanta, where I was a sports producer, reporter, anchor, and host up there for the past three years. And now I'm a free agent waiting for our, my wife and I. Our first child is due in February, so Woo! we're excited for that. And uh, just enjoying a little bit of time off until that happens.
0: Outstanding! That's a little delayed uh, Christmas present for you, huh?
4: Uh, absolutely, yeah. It it almost feels like she'll be there by the time Christmas rolls around. <laughs> It'll be a few weeks away, but
0: well, that's outstanding. I'm super
4: pumped
3: for that. As a fan of Georgia, were you okay with their decision to move on from Justin Fields? Because as a Michigan fan, that really screwed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's. It's something for me
4: that I was fortunate to cover Jake Fromm's high school career when I was working in Macon because he grew up down there and played ball down there. And when I moved to Atlanta, I was covering Justin Fields in high school. So I got to know each of those guys pretty well and get to see what their high school acclaim was like as they were dealing with it. I also got to cover Trevor Lawrence while he was in high school. So all these Georgia quarterbacks, I feel like I've seen – almost their careers from the beginning but as far as justin fields was concerned i think georgia was unlucky with the timing because justin definitely went into georgia and felt confident that he was going to be able to beat jake Fromm out i still can't think of a situation where fields was going to knock jake Fromm out of that starting job he had just played for a national championship had the lead in the national championship when he left the field against alabama and really had mastered the offense and had gotten things nailed down even as a freshman. He had a pretty strong sophomore season as well, competing with Justin Fields. And I think any narratives that Justin wasn't given a fair shot or he didn't have every opportunity to win that job, I don't necessarily believe that's true. I think he did. I just think for Georgia, for Justin, it was bad timing because there just wasn't enough separation between him and Jake Fromm. Now, obviously, this year, things have worked out for Fields. He's taken off, and I can't lie and say that Georgia fans around here aren't watching Justin Fields with a little bit of a nervous eye and wondering, did Georgia make a mistake? Did Kirby Smart not give the job to the right guy? As you look back, I hope that people evaluate that situation for what it was. Yes, the offenses are different in Ohio State and at Georgia – but if you go back and really consider the context of that competition, I don't think Justin Fields would have ever taken
1: Jake Fromm's job when Fields was a true freshman and when Fromm was a true sophomore. Having been at the SEC Network for over three years, I've heard a lot about the Jake Fromm, Justin Fields situation. And then I've also like come to really, truly appreciate uh, the passion of the fans in the SEC and, and around here in the ACC, too, with Duke and North Carolina. But especially the SEC, and, I mean, you grew up there. You, you went to Georgia. You know all about it. You've covered the sport. You've, you've been in the, at the SEC championship. You know all about it. And, we, you know, we were talking about the Michigan-Ohio State game uh, before we brought you on, and one thing that kind of disappointed us as Michigan fans was looking at the big house and seeing what surely looked like a lot more Ohio State fans than Michigan fans. And Jared was covering the game. He was there on the field, and he said that's what it was like on the field, too. So is there a difference, I guess, in your opinion, in the passion of SEC fans than basically anywhere else in the country from what you've seen you know, covering the sport and watching the sport? You know, I'm not going to lie and
4: pretend that I've gotten a ton of experience covering games in other conferences, stadiums. Um, But the thing that sums it up for me was the trip – that Georgia took to play at Notre Dame. And everyone saw that takeover in South Bend. And I think that was kind of an eye-opening national experience for a lot of people to see that, you know what, not only are Georgia fans hungry for games like this, I think SEC fans are hungry for games like this. I know Alabama's going up there in a couple years for a similar trip. And uh, I I would imagine that Notre Dame has revised its ticket policy to not have such a visual discrepancy in the fans and the stands but everything i've known about the sec especially now with the passion that alabama and auburn and lsu and georgia doing what they've been doing you can't help but feel like it's a little bit different down here and i try to say that with as little bias as i can talking to three michigan guys (laughs) but that passion is real and uh, i also saw it a couple weekends ago with Texas A&M fans getting their first crack at a trip to Athens. I think it's criminal that Georgia and Texas A&M hadn't found a way to play each other since A&M joined the SEC. But you saw how passionate A&M fans were to make that trip. Every weekend in the SEC is almost a bucket list type of item. Obviously, teams have down seasons like Arkansas this year, and things aren't going to always go the way that they want them to do. But I think those road trips, those special dates you circle on the calendar, I think it is something special. As for Ohio State fans taking over the big house, I mean, we, I saw something similar with Georgia fans year in and year out when they play at Georgia Tech. You know, once the power in the rivalry has shifted, it's, it's like a, a two-sided coin. The home fans don't necessarily feel, I'm speaking for you guys, but you probably don't feel as, as much of a motivation to show up to the game you know how state fans are going to travel. not that far away, realistically speaking. Same for Georgia and Georgia Tech, a little bit closer. But you look at the motivation, you look at the mindset of these two fans, you don't have games like this every single week. So why not go travel? Why not take over the other team's stadium?
0: You don't see that, though, in the SEC at the Powers, right? I mean, you don't see a bunch of Crimson at LSU when Alabama goes there or vice versa. I mean, the Power teams in the SEC, you just don't see that, right? For the say, traveling teams?
4: Uh, I'd say it's pretty rare, especially in the stadium, visibly noticing. You know? Right. Now, I visibly noticed Texas A&M fans. They had taken over our favorite restaurant in downtown Athens, you know, the night before the game. You know, we couldn't get a seat because it was filled <laughs> with that Texas A&M maroon. So, yeah, I think as far as, like, making it a destination, yeah, that may happen. But in the stadium, you are not going to notice it at that level. I think that's accurate to say.
3: Are, are, are tailgates in the South really that
4: good? Are they all they're cracked up to be? I mean, it depends how much bourbon is there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because
4: I, I'll tell you that that's uh, that's a big part of it. But the food—I mean, everyone's trying. It's like an episode of you know diners, drive-ins, and dives. Every tailgate you show up at, everyone's trying to compete with each other. Who can smoke the best pork butt? You know, who's cooking up the best brisket? Who's made the best? Bloody Marys or, or screwdrivers that morning, like it, it's like the competition almost flows over from the game into a lot of these tailgates where people are trying to bring their own food. Like if you show up empty-handed, you're going to get a side eye, you know. So I think a lot of that is just it's just part of the culture. It's it's a whole weekend affair. People are showing up on Friday nights, rolling in with their RVs, uh, reserving their tailgate spots at six thirty. You know, you guys need to have me up for a Michigan tailgate sometime, so I can truly compare the two. But the tailgate atmosphere, especially for a 3.30 kick or 7 p.m. kick, is legit. It's just something that's part of your day's activities. You're expected to be there and show up, and you better not show up empty-handed.
1: Yeah, I'll say definitely, you know, from stories I've heard from people I work with or friends or whoever, they they basically echo exactly what you're saying. Now, tailgates in Ann Arbor at the big house, Uh, in Columbus, Madison for Wisconsin. You know, there are at uh, Happy Valley, you know, at State College for Penn State. There are some very, very good, legit tailgate scenes in the Big Ten. I would say one thing that is different, and, I mean, it's just not making excuses or anything, is the weather. Yeah. Because I've I've tailgated Michigan games before when we're sitting there in 30-degree weather and it's snowing, and we're trying to, like, play cornhole or we're trying to, like, play flip cup and stuff, and it's like I can't even feel my damn hands. Oh yeah, you guys would would not the floor with SEC fans
4: and those elements. I don't think people would show up.
3: <laughs> we talked about this uh, event all the time, and and that was Tiger Woods winning the Masters. I'm under the impression that you may or may not have been at Augusta for that. So where were you, and what view did you have?
4: All right, so yeah, I was there, and um, hard to you know hard to argue that that's not the coolest thing I've had the opportunity to cover. But I, uh, I've i been following him before aiming corner. I caught up with him right as he was making aiming corner. And that was where, honestly, he won it. Because Francisco Molinari had, uh, not quite to Jordan Spieth's level, but had a bit of trouble on the par 3 at 12. And people started to really feel like Tiger had the momentum, and he did. And then on 15... Molinari had another mishap where he hit a pine cone, I believe, as he was trying to avoid that uh, hazard, the the water hazard, right by the 15th green. At that point, the crowds for Tiger were swelling. I mean, they had been big all day, obviously, but that was when people really started to believe, like, he's going to do it. Like, he's got it. I saw that happen. I saw Molinari hit the pine cone. Just one of those crazy moments, like one of those Masters fluky moments, like, okay, game on. And followed Tiger all the way up through. I didn't I didn't see him on 16 or 17 because I wanted to make sure I got up to 18 in time to see him finish it out. And uh, Brooks Kepka actually had a chance uh, right there, as he did in every major this year. But uh, it was just not close enough, and Tiger hit the putts he needed to hit, and I was right there in the gallery probably about three rows back from Tiger, and I uh, just see him do his fist pump, throw his hands up in the air. and It was amazing to me because, obviously, he won, and it's one of the greatest comeback stories in all of sports history. But I love how visibly and how, uh, obviously, he had aged because he just shamelessly took his hat off. You know, and the guy's <laughs> walked a good bit of hair. You know, he's he's a little bit more wrinkled now than he used to be. But it was just so amazing to see the, the patrons respond to that and then to see him get to hug his family like his dad hugged him when he won. It was just such a powerful moment and the one that he considers his greatest win because of everything he had to do. He had to come back to do it from not only in the tournament, but come back from all the setbacks in life and setbacks physically. Uh, it was it was just a hell of a Sunday, and I still can't fully wrap my mind around what happened that day and that weekend that made it all happen. But I've got the uh, the flag from this year. I've got his pin placements from Sunday and all that stuff. So it's one of those things. I don't. I try not to hang on to too many press badges or credentials or uh, artifacts and stuff like that because I've been to so many things. Luckily, unfortunately, I've been blessed to be
1: at them, but. Those are the ones that I certainly don't want to let go of. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely a once-in-a-lifetime Masters to be at. That, obviously, all Masters are, but that, that's that got to be up there for a lot of people, so that's super cool. You painted the picture for sure. I've got one more question for you, Wes, and then I don't know if, Ted, you want to wrap up so we can get him out of here. Yep, yep. You you uh, set up your, your career, I guess, your career path since going to Georgia, and you said you started off kind of like in the local news scene. As a video journalist, probably like a one-man band type of thing. That's kind of how I got my start in the business. Ted, Ted has been in the radio business doing his thing for over 30 years. I'm, I'm at about 15, a little over 15 years. Jared right now is going to school, but like I, he, he's doing his thing. He's he's putting himself out there. He's building his resume. Been to the big house. Covered some Michigan State games and stuff like that. If you had to get you know one bit of advice for our, the young man in our trio, you know, to kind of get his career going, what's one thing in your experience? That you throughout there for anyone trying to get started in the media business.
4: Yeah, I would just say soak it all in, man. Just uh, your your uh, energy is going to be high when you're in these situations to cover big games like you've been in and, and big atmospheres like you've been in. But honestly, just take the moment to enjoy it. And I would always recommend that the way I have viewed those opportunities is no matter how 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 transparent teams are and uh, athletic departments are these days with their social media you're still there to do a job that is telling people that can't be there what it's like to be behind the scenes so just share the coolest things you can be yourself don't necessarily try to be different because that can get you into trouble but we all have things as journalists and reporters and as people that naturally set us apart from everybody so it's the biggest cliche is just being yourself, but be yourself while letting people that aren't lucky enough to have those press credentials be there. Show them in your voice what it's like to be there. Good advice cool. for sure. Yeah, that is good advice.
0: I got one Thank final you. question. before, Jared, do you have another question? No, you're, no, you can go ahead. All right, I got one final question for you, Wes. Um, going back to when you were a young rookie, okay, and you were covering maybe a football event or a basketball event. Do you remember how nervous you were before you asked a question at a press conference, and and does anything stand out?
4: I'd say that the one thing that has helped me (laughs) through my career, I guess I'll say this is a testament to Georgia's uh, journalism program, is they put you in things right away. And I can't really recall a moment where I may have been starstruck or nervous to Ask a question, but I will say that I've gone back and looked at some of my early reporting work from uh, from my days at WMAZ in Macon, and I just want to thank anyone from Macon that's listening to this podcast <laughs> for putting up with the uh, high pitched, nervous reporting voice of Wes Blankenship because it, it's just painful. If you've gone back and listened to any of your older tapes, you know what that
0: sounds. Oh, like. that's do I ever know?
4: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no, I I can't really recall one of those, like, oh, crap moments asking a question, but, yeah, definitely had some growing pains. All
0: sure. right. Well, Wes, look, we really appreciate the time. Before we let you go again, tell our listeners where, where the best spot is, for where they can follow you.
4: Yeah, my name is Wes Blankenship, and so on Twitter, my handle is Wes underscore, the letter N, the word ship, S-H-I-P, and that's just a handy way to shorten my last name a little bit. And, um, also on Instagram and my podcast name is back porch sports. That's three words and it's on YouTube and anywhere you find your podcast.
0: And also don't forget coffee town. Cause I'm, te- I'm definitely checking that out. I'll-, I'll probably send an audio tape down for you just to put it on there.
4: Yeah, do it, man. <laughs> I'll, you know, like I said, I've done five of these on Twitter and I plan to put all of them together in a YouTube clip at some point this week just so everybody can see the full season and storyline of Coffee Town.
0: I think it's a very cool idea and uh, definitely some uh, some future there for growth, without a doubt.
4: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes.
0: All right, Wes. Appreciate the time, man.
4: Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Have well- a great week.
0: All right, man, that was great stuff from Wes. I look forward to talking to him again and also getting into a little bit of that Coffee Town. And, you know, it, it sounds like that's a lot of fun, and I know... We have listeners looking for some fun. Stop into Rivals Taphouse and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Weekends are really hot over there, as you can cheer on the Spartans and Wolverines in their bowl games. Red Wings and Pistons, over 20 high-def TVs and awesome food and drink. Rivals Taphouse and Grill in Corona. And also, everybody likes a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on upcoming auctions. The auction house is packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Sign up for the email notifications or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. <laughs> All right guys, uh I think I'm the only one of the 3 of us that put the uh, massive commitment of 3 hours 30 some minutes to watch uh the new Martin Scorsese flick, The Irishman, but I will tell you this. I saw it Wednesday night. I know we'll talk a little bit about Jared's Thanksgiving Eve evening if you will, but I spent mine watching the epic The Irishman. Total, you know, total 3 thumbs up from me. De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, I mean, Scorsese. It was an epic story about Frank Sheeran, and he was a World War II veteran that got hooked up with the mob, eventually got hooked up with Jimmy Hoffa, played by G- by Al Pacino, and by the way, full full Pacino as Hoffa. I mean, there's, there's going to be some Academy Awards in this, but as far as three-and-a-half hours... It's long, for sure, but it didn't disappoint me. Like I said, uh, an epic production, good to see the gang back together again. And I didn't realize Pacino had never worked with Scorsese before. Did, did you guys realize that?
1: No, I, yeah, I guess I, I that didn't. It, I figured at some point he would have.
0: No, De Niro, Pesci, uh, they, you know. Kid,
1: what the heck is Goodfellas? That's not a Scorsese. I always thought that was a Scorsese film.
0: That was, but that was De Niro and Pesci, not Pacino.
3: You're right. I just completely mixed them up. W- what about... Oh, that was Francis Ford Coppola did the Godfather movies. That's yeah, correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. So
3: where does, that, where does this rank on kind of the gangster, you know, Goodfellas, Godfather? Is it up there with them, or is well, it
0: much below? Well, yeah, see, since I know the story real well, I mean, obviously Jimmy Hoffa, you know, the Teamsters Union, my dad was a UAW member, and Hoffa was from Detroit, Michigan, you know, if you knew the whole story, and this basically followed right along, and it was Frank Sheeran's version of it. To make to answer your question, I put Godfather one and two for sure number one. You know it's hard to differentiate between the two. A lot of people say Godfather two is better, but I think you combine them both together, and I put this right behind it, just ahead of Goodfellas. That's that's where I rank it.
1: Yeah, basically, I mean, I, yeah, I, I have not watched it honestly. Three and a half hours. You know, I know the cast, yeah. the the crew, the director. I know you know it's all there. I've heard people say, you know, it's a bit long and it feels long. If you if if you tell me that, that's a tough sell.
0: Oh no way! Here's here's what here's what I would tell you. It wasn't it didn't seem that long to me. Number one, but number two, it's Netflix. Pretend it's a two-part series. Watch half of it.
3: I will say that.
0: Come back the next night.
3: You were gonna love this movie no matter what.
0: That's true. Know you were. No, that's
3: true. That's fair.
0: I would love to see. I'd love to hear your opinion once you see it.
3: Like because I do, I like, I don't understand the the love for Goodfellas, if I'm being honest. And, and I'll work it down a tangent.
0: That's okay. I, I
3: do appreciate some of the cinematography, some of like the, the shots that are in it that Scorsese has. Yeah. But I don't think it's that great of a movie. Huh. But, but then again, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm in the wrong on that.
0: Well, you're like, in the minority. Like, that's all. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're minority. entitled to so, your opinion.
3: Yeah, so that just makes me think that you love all these movies so much. They're all your favorite movies. Well, and I watched the first 15, 20 of this, and I'm not going to lie, like Matt said, the length. This was on Thursday night, Thanksgiving. Maybe it was just because it was after a long meal, you know, tired, all of that stuff. But, man, I minute. watched the first 20, and I said, I don't know if I can watch this.
0: So you're um, saying I, it was too so long, long at 20 minutes? How is that possible? Well,
3: just, when, you're, when, you're, when you watch 20 minutes and you think to yourself, I have another like 10, 20-minute segments to go in this movie, it, it gets a little bit, like, it's a little overwhelming.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I I, I say give it another chance. That's all I can say.
3: I'm going to try tonight. That's, uh, that's my goal for this podcast, hopefully by next uh, show we... <laughs> we'll
1: be able to have a, a, a second recap of well, it, it, well well Jared start the movie now <laughs> and by the by the time we record the next one maybe you'll have it done
0: is it is it fair to say watch it in two days
1: two parts there's no way I there's no way that this thing couldn't have been done into two 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 and a half hour movie that's how long it should have been three-and-a-half. and a Here, half is if a you're telling months. me I've got to watch a damn movie in two days
0: what's the difference it's a, it, you would watch a miniseries wouldn't you
1: yeah, but that, those are, like, different, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, those are different episodes. This is one movie.
0: Ted. What's the, what's, what, wait, just back off a second, Jared. I know, I know you and I differ on a lot of things. What is the consensus out there in this country, the people that have watched this, is it positive or negative?
3: It's positive. It's positive, but I will say this, your brain, I know that people will say, like, oh, like, the, today's generation, they have no patience. They have no this. They're that's that, what I'm they're picking up on. Well, that's what we have. We do have that. So I guess complain about how we have awesome video games and stuff. But, Ted, your brain, as somebody who watches TV basically day in and day out all the time, right. your brain is conditioned for these <laughs> long hauls. You probably said you probably didn't. Did you get up at all during this movie, or did you sit on your couch for three and a half hours, never got up once, and just enjoyed every second?
0: Hour? No, I think I got up once, but, you know.
1: I think there is something to kind of what Jared was saying. I think there probably are people who legitimately like the movie. I think there are also people who were gonna like it no matter what because of the names. They were gonna say, "Oh, the band is back together." It'd be like if, like when the Rolling Stones do a reunion tour and they sound like trash and look old and look terrible. But you know, the the people who are fans growing up are gonna love it anyway because it's the Stones. Like is it a great movie I, I don't know maybe it is but i think people will love it because of who's in it
0: there's there's some of that but you know once you if you guys do commit the time to watch it we'll talk about it on a future podcast then i, I want to get your opinion after actually watching the entire movie okay
1: i'll take i'll I'll use my last few vacation days for the year so i can
0: <laughs> that. boy you guys you're something else all right that's my ted entertainment for tonight uh also, we had a, a big event down at Ford Field. The, the Michigan high school football finals took place. Pocono Westphalia picked up a win over Jackson Lumen Christie, 14 to nothing. The uh, Pirates are for real. You know their third Division Seven title in the last four. Uh, but the one I really wanted to point out was uh, we talked about him last week. Brendan Sullivan, the young junior man, led Davidson to their first ever state championship, 35-25 over Brighton. Uh, I recorded it. I watched it in its entirety this morning. Brendan had a fantastic game, 14 for 19, 290 yards and a touchdown. And I'll tell you what, Jared, that kid can seriously play.
3: Yeah, he's a, he's a power five uh, talent. I, I mean, and I know Michigan State. The only thing that I'm worried about is him going to Michigan State and then like revitalizing that program. I'd be worried about that because then, then I might have to root for Michigan State from now on, which I don't want to do. But the thing that I took away from this big weekend at Ford Field was, man, the only team with a bigger mental block than Michigan – is the Muskegon Big Reds football team? Wow! Another what is this? Their eighth out of the last nine years. They've been to four field with only one state championship.
0: Right. Ever, it,
3: it's just there's some sort of mental block. I don't know what's going on there. It's like the Michigan Ohio State
0: rivalry. Yeah, River Rouge took care of them, thirty to seven. Yeah, big big action down there. That'll do it for now, though, on this podcast. Follow, send your comments to us at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. That's at Three Point Pod. Subscribe, rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Support our three-point podcast partners, which include Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Taphouse and Grill, The Connection, Card Service Michiana, and ProMec Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our network friends, Z92.5 The Castle and Sports Radio Detroit. And uh, special thanks to our guest, Wes Blankenship of Coffee Town and at Wes underscore NShip. Follow him on Twitter. I think you'll have some fun there. And uh, just as always, this has been a Sportsnet Michigan Radio production recorded at WJSZ Studios in Owasso, Michigan. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcast.